One of the most saddening experiences is to not get invited. The feeling of being left out, unloved, not included, that can weigh pretty heavy, hey, when it happens. Especially when you know that there's lots of others who are invited but you obviously didn't make the grade. It's just sad. And if it's a function that, even if it's a function that you really didn't need to go to, but still the sadness comes along because you feel that, like you've been rejected. Um, and even for somebody of a strong character, this feeling of rejection can really start to get to you, it can really get you down. Well, I've given this message today the title, God Invites. And one thing I can guarantee you is that you'll never, ever be made sad due to a lack of invitation from your Heavenly Father because God invites. That's what he does. He invites those who are near. He invites those who are far. He invites those who are sad. And he invites those who are happy. He invites the rich and the poor, the man and the woman, the boy and the girl, the priest and the prisoner, God invites. And you might get hurt when other people, maybe even other Christians, select their friends and and leave you out. But you'll never, ever be neglected by your Heavenly Father. You need to know that because God invites. That's what he does. He doesn't reject. God invites. Now, today we're continuing on our series in Matthew and once again, the same as last week and the week before and the week before that, Jesus is telling yet another parable about how he was going to get rejected or was being rejected by God's people and especially by the religious leaders. Now, I told you last week that this is going to keep on coming because as the pressure builds and as Jesus is heading towards the cross, the rejection of Christ is just getting more and more and more and the rejection of Christ and what that means is going to keep coming up in the readings. And to talk about this rejection, Jesus told another parable and and this story was about a king putting on the wedding feast for his son. Now, the way things were done in their culture was they would send out an invitation well in advance letting people know that the the wedding was about to happen, that that they're invited to come to it. But then when everything was ready, he'd send out his servants then to personally call and knock on every door and say, listen, you've been invited to this wedding, it's time. It's wedding time, put on your glad rags and come along. It's time, time for the party. And so that's what happens. We take up the story where the king sent his servants out to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Now let me tell you, if a king invites you to do something, you'd better well, jolly well do it. Um, because it's not really an invitation when a king says it. It's a bit like Ben, he gets sick of me calling for volunteers in the church, like in a church service, I'm just asking for a volunteer, Ben. And, um, yeah, Ben doesn't like that. But it's like that with the king. If a king gives you an invitation, it's really a direction. Come, come. But, of course, everybody else said, no, got other stuff to do, not coming. Again, the king sent out his servants saying, look, everything's laid on, the spit roast is done, the pink punch is cold, the tucker's all prepared, it's party time, come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. One went off to his farm, another went off to his business. They just ignored the king's summons and worse than that, some of them actually seized the servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. 
Now that was the utmost of disrespect toward their king. To mock and injure, kill the king's spokesperson is high treason. And the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Now remember, Jesus was telling this story about Israel and about their fruitless religion, about the the religious leaders. They had rejected the prophets and the most recent one that they'd rejected was John the Baptist who'd just recently, recently been beheaded. And now they were rejecting God's only son and God was going to judge them. And he did. In AD 70, 30 odd years after Jesus ascended to heaven, there is an uprising against the Romans, but of course they lost. The Romans won and Jerusalem fell. Many died. Those were bitter times. Um, The temple was burned. And this was God's judgment on their fruitless religion. It was God's judgment on their rejection of Christ. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. But if God invites, what is an invitational God to do when his invitations are rejected? He just sends out some more, doesn't he? Uh, We often have people over for, for meals at our place, not as often as what we seem to used to, but what we do is we just ring somebody and say, what are you up to for, for dinner? Do you want to come over for dinner? And if they say, oh, no, we've got something on, well, that's okay, we'll just ring somebody else. What are you up to for dinner? Oh, well, we're actually already going out to somebody else's place. That's okay, we ring somebody else. And we just keep ringing and ringing and ringing because when Robin decides that she's going to have visitors for dinner, visitors for dinner the Bromptons will have. And so we just keep on inviting. And that's what God is like. God invites and he invites and he invites again and he keeps on inviting until everyone is invited. And so in verse 8 we read, Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all who they found, both bad and good, so that the wedding hall was filled with guests. God invites. He keeps on inviting. When the Jews rejected Jesus, he just moved on to the Gentiles. When one town would cast his, cast his apostles out, say, you're not welcome here, they'd move on to the next town. God just kept inviting and inviting and inviting. Everyone has been invited to receive Christ as their Lord. So I want to share with you today four things about the reading. And the first thing I want to share with you is joy. To some people, hell is a big stick that makes them head toward Christ, as if Christianity is so intolerable that only something as awful as hell could possibly force them to put up with being a Christian. But get this. The king didn't force people to go to a funeral. He invited them to a wedding. He invited them to a party. The good news isn't so much about being saved from hell. The good news is God himself. 
It is an absolute joy, an absolute pleasure to be in relationship with the Lord our God. Now you know as well as I do that some people are just jolly hard work. You know, to spend time with some people, it's just jolly hard work. But God is not hard work. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To be in relationship with God is not hard work, it's a joy, it's a blessing. And likewise, church shouldn't have to be something that we have to force ourselves to go to, nor nor does it need to be some kind of weekly entertainment event where we can do something a little bit different each day, each week, to try and keep everybody interested. Church is where we get together to share our joy that we already have. A joy that comes because of the relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. The joy that you get from church and the joy that I get from church should not be dependent on the quality of the band, nor should it be dependent on the charisma of the person up the front. The joy that we get from church isn't something we get. It's something we bring. It's something that we bring with us to share with each other. When each of us have a joy because of the relationship that we have with Christ, and then when we come together we share this joy with one another. That's where the joy comes from. Now imagine, getting back to the parable, when the king invited those people to the wedding of of his son, invited them to a royal wedding, imagine the privilege that that is. Going back to the example of the royal wedding a couple of years ago, imagine if someone in this town received an invitation to that royal wedding. It would be in the paper for weeks and it would be the talk of the town, wouldn't it? What are you grinning at? Was somebody actually invited? No. Okay. But when they received that invitation, they despised it. They threw it all back in his face. And God invites us. What a joy. What a privilege. What an honour. That the king of the universe is asking for your company. How's that, eh? The king of the universe is asking for your company. Joy. The second thing I want to share with you is all are invited. Verse 8, he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out onto the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. All are invited. The bad are invited, the good are invited. You see, what's happening here, it doesn't matter what your life history has been. It doesn't matter whether you're a popular person or an unpopular person. It doesn't matter whether you've got everything together or whether you feel like your whole life is just falling apart and you're ready to throw in the towel. God invites you. He invites you just as you are. The Lord desires to have a relationship with you. Isn't that neat? 
And today, we are God's servants. We are the ones who are responsible for getting the invitations out. And we have to get those invitations to everyone. Now, sometimes it takes us years to pluck up enough courage to tell a good friend about Jesus or to invite a good friend along to church. And usually we're very selective about who we tell about Jesus or who we invite to church um, because we only approach those who we suspect will be least offended by our offer. But God's command is to take the invitations out to the bad and the good. Our job isn't to do the selecting. Our job is to do the inviting. And it might be as simple as saying to someone, hey, look, I've actually been meaning to to ask you for a while, but um, I want to invite you to church. Um, I guess I've realised that it's not all just religious mumbo-jumbo. I'm starting to understand that this is actually important. I actually believe this stuff. And I just don't want others to miss out for the sake of not being invited. And so I just want to invite you to come to church. Now, that might be a tough thing to say. But I can assure you it'll get easier the more people you ask, the more people you invite. And you might be like those servants and get rejected a lot of times. But the first one that receives that invitation and comes to know Christ through it and the next one and the next one, gee, they're going to be thankful that you did actually invite them. And that's all it takes sometimes is for someone to be invited. Thirdly, many are called but few are chosen. We've got two dogs. Uh, one's getting old and deaf. She's been around since 2001, so she's about 12 and a half years old now. But I remembered something about the way we chose her, so I ran it past Jake. And I said, Jake, how did we choose Jessie? And he said, oh, look, Dad, I don't remember. I was too young. Um, but what I do remember is she sort of chose us, really. Now, Robin might correct me. I meant to actually check this with her, but I think what happened was we went to have a look at this litter of pups and Jake and Ben were quite small. Uh, now, I know I've got that part right. Um, but there was this one little pup in this litter that seemed to come out of the litter and chase the kids around. Is that what happened? That is what happened. There you go. The memory is not so bad after all. And that one we chose. And when Jesus said, many are called but few are chosen, that's exactly what he was describing. Our job is to invite. But no matter how much we want certain people to give their hearts to God, we can't make them do it. We give them the invitation, then it's up to them whether they pursue God or not. Now we went there to choose a pup, to choose a pup. And which one did we choose? The one that chose us. And God's like that with us. He's inviting all of us. But only some of us will choose God. And they are the ones who God chooses. God invites everyone to come to him, but only some will, and they become the chosen. That's how it works. Which brings us to the fourth point. 
the repentant are chosen while the unrepentant are judged. Verse 11. But when the king came back to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called but few are chosen. In Jesus' vocabulary, wedding garments are a sign and symbol of purity. When Jesus returns, the church, you and I, will be presented to him as his bride. That's another image of purity. And so when you go to a wedding and the the bride is all dressed in white, the white is a symbol of the bride's purity being presented to the husband being presented to the groom who will become the husband, pure and spotless. Now, of course, we don't make ourselves pure. God does that. So what's this getting into the wedding feast without wedding garments? What's he talking about with this imposter, if you like, getting in without meeting the dress code? Getting in without being in these garments of purity? Well, I guess it all boils down to the question, how am I saved? If it is God who makes us pure, if it is God who saves us, how am I saved? And looking back to last week, we're actually continuing on with the theme of repentance. To be saved, we have to repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you guys get to hear me a lot um, and so you get to hear this message over and over and over again. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That shouldn't be a surprise to anyone here, should it? That's what it takes to be saved. Repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know what? There's a lot of churches out there where you will never ever hear that message being preached. And there are many people today who go to church probably every week. They sing the songs, they read the liturgy. They may maybe even pray and ask God for stuff. Maybe they've even gone up the front to an altar call and agreed to receive Christ, but they've never actually been told that they need to repent. They've never, been, never come to the realisation that they are a sinner in need of a saviour. They've never been taught that repentance means taking concrete action to prevent oneself from reoffending. Maybe they've heard the message of grace, but it's been cheap grace. Grace without cost, grace with no repentance and grace with no responsibility. And how tragic it would be to be under the impression that you're all good with God, but to remain full of your own self-righteousness, to remain full of your own pride, unrepentant and unsaved. Verse 13, Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Every one of us are called. Everyone out in the community are called. 
called by God. But not all of us chosen. To be one of the chosen means that we have to agree with God that I'm actually a sinner in need of a saviour. To be chosen means I have to repent of my sin. It means I have to seek to live in righteous obedience to Christ. Sure, sometimes I'm going to fail in that and I do often. And so I give thanks for the grace of God. I give thanks to God that he forgives us of our failings. Just like when a child's trying to learn to walk and the child trips and falls over and starts crying, the parent comes and picks the child up again, dusts the dust off and sets them on their feet again. That's what God is like with us. We're trying to live in righteous obedience to Christ, but we're going to fail. That's like we fall over, cover ourselves with dust and grime. And we say, God, I'm sorry. He says, that's okay. He picks us up again. He dusts us off and sets us on our feet again. He says, give it another go. Live as my children. I'll pick you up again when you fall next time. To be chosen means to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as well. It means to believe that he is the son of God. It means to believe that he died to save us from our sins. To believe that he rose from the dead, giving us assurance of eternal life. It means to believe that Jesus Christ is returning again to gather his chosen ones to himself, pure and holy, dressed and ready for the wedding banquet. And it means to believe that when Christ returns, he will judge those who are invited, but disregard the invitation. God calls us, be chosen. Mm -hmm.